morning. Would please go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 will be our text this morning. I remember uh, when I was a little kid, I was probably six, seven years old, and my uncle Chris came over to visit, and when he came, he had the first laptop computer I had ever seen. And I remember him setting it up on our kitchen table, and he opens up his laptop, and I remember my dad looking over the shoulder of my uncle Chris, marveling at this machine. Okay, it's about this thick, weighed about 30 pounds, right? But it was a laptop computer. Okay, and they were marveling at it. And I remember they were so excited about the word processor. Did you know that on that computer, if you typed in a word and you misspelled it, you could click a little button and it would find the misspelled words on your document? And did you know that if you made a mistake while you were typing on this computer, you could hit a backspace button and it would delete the last thing that you had typed and then you could retype it? I know! It was amazing. Yeah, and I vividly remember my dad and my uncle having this long conversation about how computers were going to change the world because you could type and you could find misspelled words with ease and you could backspace like you could never do with a typewriter. Man, these computers were the next generation typewriter. Yeah, and you think about this, this is back in the 80s. Uh, they didn't know about the internet. They had no idea that social media was coming. Things like Facebook and Twitter hadn't even been thought of. Okay, they had no idea that newspapers would go out of style in the next generation. They had no clue that CGI would change all of our entertainment. Okay, they couldn't foresee how banking and shopping and navigation and dating, even how we sing songs in church, would all change because of these computers. In fact, this morning, we had a problem updating the song slides for worship this morning, and we were wondering, can we worship if we don't have our slides? thought, well, Christians did for thousands of years. I bet we would figure it out, right? Okay, everything in our world has changed because of computers. But when my dad and my uncle looked at that laptop machine that day, they couldn't think of all of that. All they could see when they looked at that computer was an updated typewriter. Now, is a computer really good as an updated typewriter? Absolutely. Okay, if you've ever had to type a document on a real typewriter, you remember how annoying it was. If you ever made a mistake, you couldn't just backspace. Okay, you'd either get out, white out, or take a whole new sheet of paper, do something. Okay, a computer is a really good updated typewriter, but it's so much more than just a typing machine that to think about a computer as only a typewriter is almost criminal. Hey, my dad and my uncle were not wrong in what they were getting excited about, but their vision was much too narrow for what computers could actually do. Right, I tell you that story because I think that when we look at the Holy Spirit of God and when we look at what the Holy Spirit can do for us and do in our lives as the Spirit dwells within us, we get very excited about what the Spirit does and we're not wrong in that, but I think our vision is way too narrow. I think we see the work of the Spirit in very limited terms and we get excited about that and that's good. But I think the Spirit is so much bigger than that. I think God is up to so much more than what we get initially excited about when we hear about the Spirit. 
And I think a lot of what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 8 is he's expanding our vision so we can start to see more about what God is actually doing in his creation amongst us through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, and this sounds odd to us, but the way that Paul chooses to describe this is through the image of groaning. Okay, Paul uses the metaphor of a woman in labor as his primary sermon illustration for this section of Romans chapter 8. Okay, and there are three different things in this few verses that he says are groaning. Okay, and notice the first of these things that's groaning is he says creation itself is groaning. Okay, notice starting in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Okay, I question the Apostle Paul just a little bit to be a single man and use the image of childbirth as his primary sermon illustration, uh, but that's what Paul chooses to do here. Okay, but I think it is an appropriate illustration, right? Okay, because children coming into the world is a difficult process. Okay, creation itself, the world and everything in it, is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Okay, this is an intense illustration. Okay, this is the most painful thing that Paul can envision. Right? And it's not a pain that's over with quickly. Okay, especially you think about childbirth in the ancient world. There's no drugs. There's no procedures to speed up this process. Okay, labor could take a very long, long time. Okay, this was also an occasion that was filled with extreme anxiety. Lots of children didn't make it through the delivery process. Lots of women didn't make it through the delivery process. And yet in spite of all the anxiety, in spite of the pain and the suffering and the groaning, the greatest part about childbirth is that at the end of the labor, at the end of all the suffering, you get a baby. You know, I remember when Rachel was pregnant with Luke uh, and then again with Sam, uh, it was really hard on me. It was difficult to sleep at night. Okay, She tossed and turned quite a bit. She could never get comfortable. She even brought this huge oversized pillow into our bed so she could finally get comfortable and sleep a little bit. Left me with about this much mattress. It was hard to sleep. It was also difficult on me because there were certain foods I couldn't eat because they didn't smell right to her. Okay, as if just because she's carrying my child, I can't eat chili, right? Okay, anything with raw onions in it, and she was done. Okay, and then after we had the baby, especially after we had Sam, sleeping was really difficult again for me because she was getting up and down out of bed all the time to go feed my child. I didn't sleep nearly as well then as I wanted to, and nobody cared about how I was doing. Having a baby is really difficult for us fathers. And I see all the men in here nodding. And I see several of the women here look like they're about to charge the pulpit. Okay, that's, that's fair. 
But again, the reason that Paul uses this image of childbirth is because no matter how intense the pain, the joy of the baby makes the struggle worth it. Imagine a mother holding her perfect newborn baby for the very first time and then saying, yeah, you know, if I could do it all over again, that just hurt a lot. I don't think I'd go through with it. That would never happen. Why? Because there is a period of pain, but the joy at the end of it is so overwhelming. Okay, Paul says that that process of pain followed by joy is exactly the process that creation itself is in. Okay, and I know that we've talked about the opening of Genesis probably a dozen times already in our sermon series on Romans, but Paul keeps coming back to it because that's the story. Okay, in the beginning, God created the world, and when he did, he created it perfectly. Over and over again in those first chapters of Scripture, God creates, then he looks at what he created, and he says, it is good. But then because of sin, because Adam and Eve bring sin into the world, creation itself is broken. Decay and death enter the world. Starting in chapter 3, we look at creation and we say, it's not good anymore. The ground itself, you remember the curses that God lays down for the people? One of the curses for Adam is the ground itself is literally put under a curse. I think one of the reasons Paul uses the illustration of creation groaning as in a woman in labor is because part of the the consequence of sin that, that God lays down for women is that that process would be painful. Creation itself is under a curse because of sin. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit and the work of God redeeming us, we typically think of it only in terms of God redeeming people. Okay, we think that Jesus came and died on the cross only because our disembodied souls need saving. Okay, we've inherited some really bad philosophy from the Greeks okay, who wanted to very sharply divide all of matter and spirit right, and say that everything material is bad and everything spiritual is good. Okay, and we've kind of inherited that and thought that, well, all the material stuff doesn't matter, but it's our spirits that are ultimately going to be saved, and that's all that really counts. Okay, contrary to that, though, Christianity says, no, it is all of creation. God created it good. God is going to redeem creation. Scripture clearly teaches all of creation, the earth and all of us, all of it is awaiting the redemption of God. The world itself is waiting to be remade. The Bible starts in Genesis with an image of a perfect garden. Interestingly, it ends in Revelation with an image of a perfect garden. Ultimately, God is going to remake this earth with fire. Over and over it says God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. The resurrection of Jesus is a foreshadowing of how death will cease for all of creation. Creation itself is groaning as it awaits a new birth. Does any of that make sense? And so Paul starts in this section with a very cosmic scale. He says God is working on the redemption of everything. All of creation is groaning, awaiting God's final redemption. And then he makes it more personal. And number two, he says that we also are groaning. Notice verse 23. He says, not only so. Okay, so not only is all of creation groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We are groaning, waiting for the redemption of God. Uh, Before Luke was born, his heart was so big it filled his entire chest cavity, uh, and it even crushed his airway. It crushed most of what was in his throat. Okay, so when he was first born, he had a trach, and he didn't talk. When he cried, you couldn't hear it. Okay, you could see it on his face that he was crying, but you couldn't hear him cry. And for the longest time, we never heard Luke make a sound at all. Okay, when he was a toddler, his speech therapist told us one day uh, that because of all of that and because of the surgeries that he had, that there was a very strong possibility that Luke may never talk at all. Okay, that he might be mute for the rest of his life and that we needed to think about what that might look like for him. Okay, well, he's had bunches of surgeries, and if you've heard him yelling during communion, you know that his vocal cords work just fine. Okay, but for a long time, we didn't know if that was going to be the case or not. We didn't know whether or not he would be able to talk. Okay, I want to show you a video. This is shot on Rachel's cell phone. The quality's not the highest. This is right when Luke was about three years old, right when he learned the very first day to say a very important word. So there's only about five seconds. Okay, watch this. Mama. 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 And he got it. Uh, He spent that whole day just saying mama over and over again. Uh, I still remember sitting in my office when Rachel sent me that video, and I just cried. How could you not? Okay, I want you to just imagine how we celebrated that. Okay, we celebrated Luke being able to say mama, even though Luke still had a long way to go towards using his throat the way God intended it, towards talking and swallowing and doing all of those things that were so hard for him. Okay, and he still struggles with swallowing. But we celebrated that day, we celebrated that moment because we finally got a small glimpse of his potential and we knew that we were moving towards wholeness. We have talked a lot in the last few chapters about how when we become Christians, when we put on Christ in baptism, when we have faith like our father Abraham, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, And here's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says that by becoming one with Christ, we have a foretaste of glory divine. We get a small glimpse of our future potential, who we one day will be. In the meantime, we are groaning as we long for that full redemption. Paul says we wait in hope, we wait patiently for the day when God will fully redeem our bodies, when His Spirit will truly rule over the entire earth, and we will see things the way they were truly created to be. We groan as we wait for the full redemption of our bodies, our souls, our minds, and our strength. And this is, is an important point and another example of how we need to expand our vision. Okay, I look forward to the day that Luke gets a new body. Okay, it was last summer that I did a funeral for a baby who will get a new body. And I've preached a lot of funerals for elderly people whose bodies simply gave out after 80 or 90 years of life. 
They were ready for a new body. Okay, and so here's the application point of all of this. Okay, if you only hear me say one thing today, let it be this. Okay, and that is that I know that suffering is very real in your life. Okay, I know some of the things about some of you that are going on in your life, some of the struggles that you face on a daily basis. Okay, there's a lot of anxiety about the future of our society, our world, your personal situation, whatever it is. All of our suffering is very real. I know that each and every one of us has things that we are worried about, has difficulties that we face. Okay, but Paul says that because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we are able to wait patiently for the hope that is promised to us. Okay, the hope here is the hope that your suffering will not have the last word. Your dying body will not get the last word. Death will not get the last word because in the resurrection of Jesus, we've already conquered death and now we're just waiting for that full redemption. So we ourselves are groaning. All right, and then finally, number three, Paul claims that the Spirit is groaning. Notice verse 26. He says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with with the will of God. All of creation is groaning. We are groaning as we wait for God's final redemption. And the Spirit Himself is groaning. Uh, when my grandparents on my father's side passed away, uh, they left some land. They had the house and the, the farmland uh, that my parents inherited. And when they inherited it, it's all in Arkansas. My parents live in Oklahoma. And they were having some trouble talking to the lawyer in Arkansas about the deed and getting everything transferred over the way it's supposed to. And I don't even understand all of the words used to describe all of that. Uh, but they were having some trouble with that. Hey, well, my older sister is married, so she is not Rebecca Chisholm anymore. She's Rebecca Taylor. And so she made a phone call on their behalf, and she's a lawyer. And so she calls this lawyer and she says, hi, I'm Rebecca Taylor from the law offices of so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so, and I'm looking out for the Chisholm family interests, and I want to talk to you about this whole deed and all that kind of stuff. All right, and as my parents had had numerous phone calls and never could get anyone to talk to them, suddenly my sister calling and saying, oh, I'm lawyer so-and-so, and immediately it's a whole different conversation. Okay? All of a sudden, she can understand all of the words that the other person is saying to her on the other end of the phone. She understands all the stuff about deeds and all the complicated language, the way lawyers keep it complicated so nobody else can understand it, right? Okay, and she understands all that, and she can have all that conversation. She was able to talk to the lawyer on the other end in a way that my parents never could because she had the vocabulary and the skill set to be able to do that, Okay. There's a lot of times in my life, I don't know how to really talk to God. I don't know what I ought to say. I don't know what I ought to pray for. I don't really know the fullness of what we're waiting for. I don't know how to make justice on earth. I don't know how to make righteousness roll like a river. I don't know how to truly implement the kingdom of God on earth around me. I know I'm a representative of Jesus to the world, just as every Christian is, but I don't always know how to do that. But I know that I have a Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, who intercedes to my God on my behalf, who is empowering my life, and who is helping me represent God to the world in a way I could never do on my own. 
The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He intercedes to God for you. And He's enabling God to do powerful things through your life. Creation is groaning. We are groaning. The Spirit is groaning as we all wait for that final promised land that we're going to. The ultimate story of Scripture is that we used to be enslaved. God loved us and redeemed us. And we're on our way to a promised land. That's what we celebrate this morning. All right, in just a moment, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, This song is a time for you. Uh, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. If we can pray with you or talk with you about anything that's going on in your life, we would love to have the opportunity to do that with you this morning. Uh, And before we sing that song, I would like to speak a word of blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.